Hey family, um, if you're listening to this message, I want to thank you so much for supporting the cocktail break. And before we get into episode one, I also just want to thank Adrian again for granting me my first interview. Um, she's an amazing writer and her book is awesome. I did want to correct myself because I did mess up the title um, during the interview. The name of her book is Unlearning Racism, Digging Up Our Roots, American Sankofa, A Brief Introduction to American Racism and African Civilization Before Slavery. Um, if you get the opportunity go to Amazon, pick up her book. Um, she does an amazing job um, going in depth about um, racism and the African-American community. And I think, especially in the climate that we're in, it's very important to learn about our roots and to continue to stay abreast on um, what's going on with us as a community. I hope you enjoyed the interview. Um, please do not hesitate to reach out if you have any questions or you want some more information about the book. Um, our email address is thecocktailbreakpodcast at gmail.com. Um, again, enjoy, and I will catch you guys on the podcast. Okay, and we are recording now. <laughs> so, um, hey everyone, welcome to the first episode of The Cocktail Break. I am so excited about um, this episode because um, our guest is a fellow A&T grad. So, you know, I'm always about uplifting HBCUs in particular, um, folks who graduate from North Carolina A&T. Um, but first and foremost, again, I just want to welcome everyone to the first episode of The Cocktail Break. As I mentioned in my initial intro, if you didn't hear um, the first promo that I released, this is my solo plat platform where, where we will discuss all things Black community, Black culture. So anything dealing with us, we will discuss it here. So um, there's a plethora of topics we're going to go over um, over the year. And um, I'm looking forward just to sharing my thoughts and also sharing some really important guests who are going to join us throughout the months. Um, like I said, I am super excited. I will be chatting with a fellow A&T grad. Her name is Miss Adrienne Smith. Um, she has recently uh, written a book, and I was very excited about it because I was just chatting with her before we came on. I was saying I was doing some work around racism um, in the Black community, so this book hit right up um, my alley. So um, the title of the book is Unlearning, Race, Unlearning Racism, Digging Up Our Roots, African Sankofa. We're going to get into what Sankofa is because uh, I know a lot of people have heard it but don't know what it is. So um, it's a brief introduction to American racism and African, African civilization before slavery. So um, let's get into it. Adrian. Let me read this. Let me read this wonderful bio first before, yes, thank <laughs> before you, we thank get you. started. Um, Adrian, as I mentioned, is a proud grad of North Carolina A&T State University. She's into fashion, writing, basketball, and art. Um, also, um, she, what is this? Ask her about her. Oh, your Spotify, Spotify playlist. What about it? Oh, girl, I think I'm a DJ. I mean, I honestly... <laughs> I was just saying that, ask me about my playlist. I will gladly share them with you. I love, <laughs> I love music. It's just something I'm passionate about as well. <laughs> Even okay, though I can't so, sing, can't do any of that, I can curate a playlist. Okay, so, well, 
we will share your playlist with our guests as well. Cause um, you know, one thing we used to do with uh, another podcast I was on, we would, we would create playlists for our listeners. So that was a lot of fun we would do over the summer. So we just had like these really um, quirky playlists and people really enjoyed them. So I would love to hear what's on your playlist. Nice. <laughs> okay. I will definitely share it in. <laughs> yeah. But um, if she's not traveling to New York, she's spending time being an auntie to her favorite kids back in North Carolina. Um, she recently ventured out to Los Angeles for three exciting years and is currently back in Washington, D.C. full time. She works, oh, works for LeBron James's Spring Hill Company doing brand partnerships and is currently planning a wedding. Yes, congratulations. Thank you. Um, and writing her second book and learning how to invest in real estate. Wow. So you've like been on your grind since the last time we spoke. And it's Thank probably you. been <laughs> almost five years since the last time we spoke. Um, so again, like I said, you wrote this incredible book and I was like, I got to jump on this and I got to interview her. So welcome to the show, Adrian. Thank you so much. And I'm honored to be here. Thank you for having me. Thank you for thinking about me. And I'm excited about this conversation. Absolutely. Absolutely. So um, before we get started, I want to ask you, um, what is your take on our current political climate? Um, Obviously, we have a certain person who will be in office until January 20th. (laughs) We don't have long, but um, what are your thoughts right now with everything that's going on? Yes. So honestly, after witnessing all that, my thoughts and my feelings were that this was just inevitable. Um, But I felt like it was important because they've exposed like so much about this country. So it's almost not a good thing, but it's almost good that it happened because white America gets to finally see this response to white people that they've almost been presented with a mirror. So like a lot of them wouldn't necessarily believe this disparity in treatment, um, specifically the way that police treat people exist if they hadn't seen it for themselves. Um, And I'll likely quote Baldwin, James Baldwin a little bit today, but he had this quote that says, we as America cannot face who we'd like to be until we face who we are. And I Mm. think that is powerful because it's, it's time to reconcile. It's also time in my opinion, for Black people to realize that this specifically is not our burden to bear. Um, I mean, you can't invent this idea of white supremacy and trample all over people, build off of their backs, I mean, like slaughter them dead to gain your precious way of living and then attempt to bury it. Um, And Mr. Baldwin also stated um, that this is just truly when all of your buried corpses begin to speak. Um, so to, to me, this kind of illustrates uh, this irresponsibility of the American dream. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the white coup at the Capitol was clearly a display of privilege, but it also showcased something else, which, you know, I think is just what we all witnessed, this level of mature immaturity that they're allotted as, you know, not to be held immediately responsible for their actions, but just also the opportunity to live and simply go back to their homes, lay in their beds and ponder this mistake. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it was very hard to watch, especially not living far from the Capitol. So, I mean, obviously you're from the area, so you understand how close we are, Mm -hmm. um, to these, to these different spaces and how secure, you know, the city is. So to watch this take place compared to what happened this past summer with the Black Lives Matter movement and how they managed that whole situation, 
I mean, you couldn't help but feel and know that, you know, they had help with this. It was, it was yeah. just too easy for them to walk in and take over like that. But um, what did Malcolm X say? The just, chickens are coming home to roost. <laughs> yes. I mean, even just being from the, I, I'm from Maryland, but being around DC, you know that they have like snipers on the rooftop on everything. any given day. So I'm not sure what happened there. Yeah, everything. So yeah, it was really, it's, it was really painful to watch. And I just hope and pray that, um, it's hard for me to say I, I, this country has been good to me personally, but I know that we have a lot to work through. I just hope we get back to a space where, you know, we can manage this environment that we're in and also move forward and grow from this. I would love to see so much more in my lifetime, um, out of this country. And there's a lot that we need to do around race and racism. So that's why we're going to talk about it. Yeah, <laughs> um, I completely agree with you. <laughs> um, so about the book, first of all, can you explain to our audience what Sankofa is, what it means? Uh, yes. So the word Sankofa is loosely translated from a language in Ghana, meaning go back and get it. Also meaning mo- moving forward while looking back. And then um, to reach back to reclaim, which is lost in order to move forward. So, um, and I named it American Sankofa because I think it's time for America to take a look back. Mm. I agree. I agree. Um, So there are two sections in the book that I really wanted to um, speak on. And the first one, um, talking about the prison pipeline. And um, as I had mentioned to you earlier, I was doing some research around it and we were talking about how um, institutionalized racism. So um, how black kids say go from a learning environment school and then they are immediately moved into this other institution, prison. Um, So the chapter really hit home. I wanted to read um, this stat real quick. It says the U.S. makes up 5% of the world's population, yet 25% of the world's prison population. That's that's major. Um, And basically, we all know that prisons are money makers. Mm -hmm. In order for prisons to make money, you have to keep them full, correct? Um, So my first question is... um, can you explain? Um, can you explain what what the prison pipeline is and how it affects Black community? Yes, absolutely. Um, and I think first I'd like to really just address this idea of white supremacy overall, mm-hmm. and just how persistent it is, and um, just kind of why, at least in my opinion, racism exists. Um, so I'm backing up. If you're looking at the book, back to chapter two, it's called as an in as a direct result of slavery. So we're really just kind of addressing systemic transgressions of white supremacy and the deep interweaving into American schools, you know, work unions, laws, methods of wealth attainment, like real estate or, you know, those sort of things. And then modern society and culture. So I feel um, the racism really exists to uphold these aforementioned systems just um, and benefit those who identify as white. So there's this enormous lie that, you know, black or brown people are less than. And let's be clear that, you know, that stat is largely um, black people in prison. So if you can tell yourself and believe this lie that black and brown people are less than you, it 
kind of appeases your guilt. So it kind of gives you free reign to, you know, let this white supremacy run, run rampant. Um, and I think even just the people like desperately upholding racism are just like paralyzed by this false sense of terror that they'll somehow lose their place in society should, you know, black or brown people advance in any sense. So I think it's important um, really to take that step back because racism has this really deep connection to capitalism as well. Like you said, they're making money off of prisons. Prisons are, you know, uh, really just this space where so much, much more of our tax money goes into prisons. You know, they're um, employing companies. Uh, companies are employing the prisoners to make um, you know, certain products, et cetera. But um, understanding that connection to capitalism and that it's institu institutionalized is really important. Um, I mean, it's the same reason that, um, you know, you're seeing this um, specifically school to prison pipeline, which I think you talked about a little bit, but, um, you know, I can address that now or address that later, but I think it's important to kind of focus in on on why. So I'll, I'll take a pause and see if that, if it makes sense to kind of dig into that. Yeah. Yeah. Let's, let's talk about it. Cause I, I brought it up. So let's definitely. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, I feel like, um, growing up, uh, I, I had a very privileged childhood where I experienced like a little bit of racism in school, but that was it. And that was, you know, I was okay with that, but there are black kids who are being, you know, disciplined, harsher, um, more frequently and just arrested, you know, literally like it's just them being put away in detention. So, um, you know, when that's what you're shown and you have this disproportionate level of punishment, it's almost like that's what you think is normal. And, and you know, you kind of go through this system um, and then literally just being taken from the educational system and transferred into the prison system. And I think, you know, we all have stories or no stories. Uh, my fiance, for example, is from Baltimore City. I mean, he would avoid the cops even just walking to school because of the way that they, um, you know, just mess with them uh, and literally beat them up. Um, but there's one story that he told me where he was, um, he got in a middle school fight with this white guy. It was just over something small and he didn't start the fight, but he ended up being arrested, literally taken to juvenile prison without them notifying his parents. Um, and then he had to defend himself in court. Um, just for this minor infraction. And it's just stories like that, that now you're sucked into this system. And I think that's really where we have to start addressing it. And, and you know, there's this um, other quote. So I was watching Between the World and Me, which I'm not sure if you're familiar with, but mm -hmm. I highly recommend. It's a book turned into a, um, a movie or documentary by Tony oh, HBO, Coates. right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's excellent. But there's this um, quote that he said in there, it says, the world has no time for the childhood of black boys and girls. And like, even when they wanted to be curious or playful, um, they were forced otherwise. And um, it just needs to be addressed. That's it, it honestly, it bothers me so much. Um, I think it just, it's time that we address it head on. Yeah. And um, it also bothered me about black girls and how um, I was reading how black girls are suspended at a higher rate than any, mm -hmm. any gender in any race. Um, so it's definitely attack an attack on our children and something needs to be done about it. Absolutely. Um, you also brought up something interesting too. And I wish that, you know, they would stop 
um, amplifying this, and that is black on black crime. Um, so you mentioned in your book that we need to resist the urge. Um, we need to resist the urge to speak on um, black on black crime, and I agree. I definitely agree with it. Um, why is it important not to focus so much on this? And um, what should we be focusing more on uh, when we speak about, uh, when we discuss the prison system? Uh, absolutely. So I think it's important to just, again, zoom out and just take a look at the system that we're in. Look at its design. Um, I mean, another quote from the movie I just mentioned or the um, book that I just mentioned is just like, if you're black, you were born in jail. Um, and this references this invisible veil that, um, you know, that that we feel like there's this world outside of the one that we're suffering through. Um, and it's not by accident, just feeling that nakedness, feeling that uncomfortable, um, you know, thought and feeling is not, is not um, by accident, it's all by design. And I think um, just understanding that when they say black on black crime, it's about perception. It, if you hear a lie enough, you believe it. And it's partially like that self-fulfilling prophecy. You go through this, you hear this, you see this about yourself and you believe that's who you are. But primarily, and what I think is most important is looking at what else is against us. And you should just be aware of it. Um, you know, conspired efforts over the years to dismantle black communities um, you know, just something very easy to point to, which I also reference in my book is Black Wall Street. We built our own community. It was destroyed. And you can really consider this in every community today in not so much of a direct manner, but it is a very insidious manner with food deserts and, you know, drugs being pumped into communities, lower education, um, disparaging poverty. Um, so it's, you know, breaking the Black family, breaking the Black body, the Black community, the Black spirit. Um, and it's intentional. Yeah. Um, and then I also think uh, they don't say white on white crime. And that is a question that you also have to ask yourself. Um, you know, why is that? Did you see the, you know, the white woman that was killed during the insurrection on the Capitol? I mean, was her murder brandished all over national TV? Um, it wasn't. And I think it's because that level of respect just doesn't apply to us. Yeah. And you said something that is very important that people need to hear is that this breakdown of Black community is very intentional. Um, I was talking to a friend of mine, and so we were just talking about the rift that I currently see. I don't know if you see it, but the rift that I see between Black men and Black women, almost like this, I have to one-up you type. And so what I was trying to make clear to them is that this is all by design. You know, the, the, this, is, this is about creating division between Black men and Black women so that we can't come together and, you know, create a space and provide a space that's healthy um, for our community and for our children. So that's a totally different show. We can talk about that all day, every mm-hmm. day. <laughs> yes. And you I know? think if you're aware of it, then you kind of step back and say like, wow, why, why would I fight with you when I should be, you know, like holding your hand or like walking hand in hand with you? Yeah, because I I mean, I had to educate him on, you know, just the system of us being on welfare, how, mm-hmm. you know, how it's set up so that black men don't come back. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, because they can't. And right. it's, it's wild. It, yeah. It, it's it's disappointing, you know, so we had this long drawn out conversation and I had to walk him through, you know, what happens when, say, a black family does start out as a middle class black family. And let's just say, you know 
something happens with dad where he gets taken away, gets, you know, gets into some trouble. And then mom has to end up going into public housing. Well, guess what? You can only have but so many people in public housing minus him. And Mm -hmm. so they force him out of the housing so he can't come back home. So now, you know, he's forced to find, you know, uh, uh, another place to live and probably move on and marry and, you know, it's it, the 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 black community is so complex and you can sit down all day long and have a conversation but what i've also learned is that some people are not going to understand it some people don't want to understand it so right right i completely agree or if you take that example and look at um you know the prison pipeline when you have sometimes the black man is taken away and shuffled into that pipeline i mean it's it, it really is and evil thing um you know when you look at how it's broken down especially with um the job market (laughs) yeah you know what i mean yes (laughs) once you you have once you have the the little slight thing on your record that's used against you you know so we were also Mm -hmm. talking about that cycle of them returning to prison as well yes absolutely um so Let's talk about something very interesting, microaggressions. <laughs> so oh, yes. um, as, I, as I mentioned, um, I come, I came, my last job, uh, it, was, it was Black female-led, um, and we would have these conversations around microaggressions in, in corporate, uh, microaggressions and corporate lynching, we would have that conversation. Um, so Black women, just personally, I've faced them on a daily basis. So I wanted to know um, if you could explain um, what microaggressions are and where we see them. So, (laughs) uh, I mean, I explain it as like, just imagine taking all of this internalized racism that, you know, people have from, you know, simply the word Black associating that to something negative or the fear that they get. Um, because of these stories of Black people on media that the media insists upon, or just simply not knowing any Black people for yourself, and then it all spilling out. But by definition, microaggressions are brief and commonplace verbal, behavioral, or environmental indignities, where they're, whether purposeful or not, they're communicating hostile, derogatory, or negative prejudicial slights. So my biggest example is hair. I mean, I mm. can go on and on <laughs> for days, um, but it's just like, well, I, pr- I actually like your hair better straight than, you know, curly or, um, you know, natural. And it's just like, I don't need your opinion or like, or please don't touch can it. Can I touch um, it? Yeah. Or like getting confused about it when we change hairstyles. Um, I've even heard people use the word nappy and I just like, guess like what, what is happening? And it's like, sometimes I don't even think they're aware of it because I've literally had people, um, when I call them out on it, just say like, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't know that was inappropriate. I've never met any Black people. I didn't grow around, grow up around them. Um, so, I mean, I've, I could keep going, but like even other ones, like in, within the workplace, about the workplace, like asking me, I mean, I'm 30 years old and you're like asking me, am I the intern? No, I am. I'm not. I'm maybe over you, but (laughs) it's just like I've removed myself from those environments because um, uh, I I chose to. Uh, And I'm sure you have multiple examples as well. (laughs) I like I could go on, but like you said, my my biggest thing was the hair and also people questioning my place 
at the workplace. You know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. Just automatically assuming instead of asking. Um, and then when we mentioned hair, when I when I read in your book, when that was the first thing you you talked about was hair, and it made me think <laughs> about the law that they just passed in you know certain states, the Crown Act. Yep. You know to help protect folks. It was for us, but you know they got to give it to everybody, but to protect us from hair racism. It's so crazy that the the way our hair grows out of our head, like, why are you mad? Why is it thing? Why does it bother you? Right. And we need a law to protect us because of our hair. But to me, Adrian, it's just another, it's not even about the hair. Again, it's just another way to keep Black people out of certain spaces. So they find anything they can. So you're well qualified on paper, but oh, your hair doesn't match your Mm -hmm. resume. You know what I mean? Or even when you're there, you feel so uncomfortable that you feel like you shouldn't be there. And that is not a feeling that you should have. Right. Right. Exactly. And, um, it's hard. Like that, that crown act was passed, I think last year, or it started like, like 2019 and went into, I don't know, but anyway, it's crazy how we are still having this conversation and here we are in, you know, 2021. So exactly. And honestly, I feel like hopefully, I really do feel that with all this, like 2020 happened and it was a lot, but like even just looking at this year and how I kind of said, like, it's time for us to step back and like, look at America tearing itself apart. Like, well, that's unfortunate, but I think it's, it's almost time for us to kind of not, you know, it's not our time to go counter protest that BS that we see, but it's like a time to shift and start building and thriving and like having our own and ascending. Like that's honestly kind of my feeling about, what we're moving into. Yeah, it's definitely our time to plan while they are distracted. You know what I mean? Because while they're Mm -hmm. distracted, that means that we can be left alone to our own devices and (laughs) really plan this thing out, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, I totally agree. So um, when we're faced with microaggressions, what are some suggestions you have? You know, so if you're ever in a space where you feel uncomfortable, you feel that hostility, um, what are some suggestions you have? Um, first, I would say truly reaffirm yourself. You're supposed to be there um, and call them out every single time directly. And if they're embarrassed, good, because it makes it unacceptable. And I mean, you'll likely face gaslighting and tears. But if we hold them accountable, we can create an environment where it just can't exist. So and I think um, one of the things and one of the um, reasons I wrote this book was was also for white people to understand these things are happening. They're still happening. Here's how they happen. Here's what's also happened in the past. And you should know about it too. So when these things happen, that's that's when I think our allies also need to take action and not just talk about it. So all this is for the white folks too. So what type of reaction do you get from white folks? Like if, if you've ever called them out on it, what is their reaction? Um, it's usually m- much of a, oh my gosh, I'm so, like, I'm so sorry. I had no idea. And it's a very small percentage of that, I believe, because they okay. have not been exposed to Black people. And I've uh, looked at, you know, understood that if you have never seen anyone that looks like me in your entire life until you were thrown into this work environment, you're going to be a little ignorant. And so, you know, I get that. But a large amount of it is just simply a microaggression and it is a way to kind of cover up this racism where you can't overtly like, you know, wave your Nazi sign, not saying everybody is that extreme, but it's just like kind of this iceberg where it's something that's acceptable and it's something that's done like 
um, that's not so overt and obvious. Yeah, I um, so I've I've definitely run into it living here in the D.C. area. For the most part, I don't believe them because living here in this area, there's no way in the world you've never seen a black person. You know what I mean? Like the D.C. area is known for its black community. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, But I have been in spaces where, you know, I I, uh, took a class with a white girl and it was the first time she had ever like, you know, just been in a space with all black people. She said, you know, obviously I've seen you guys before, but to have a conversation and to really understand, she said, you know, this is my first time. Um, you know, just my first time being in your presence. And again, like, I'm just shocked because I'm like, you know, you just can't believe it because I'm always around white people. You know what I mean? Like, there's never been a day. (laughs) No, I didn't mean to cut you off, but I was just going to say, it's like a heavy realization to like, you get to live this life that is catered fully to, to you that you can't even, you know, fathom uh, you know what someone else's experience is like and you don't even have to um and that's kind of that's kind of crazy <laughs> just it to is. think about it it is and then especially into your adulthood so yes. you never made it a priority to you know figure out what what life is like outside of your bubble you know what right. i mean and there was one thing that my parents encouraged that when i did go to college go out of state so that you can experience something different other than this area um, which I initially went to school in Florida. Um, and I was just so shocked at, you know, just the environment I was in. I had mm-hmm. never experienced that amount of racism before ever. And mm-hmm. that was because I was just so protected living at home. You know what I mean? Um, so then I found my way up to North Carolina <laughs> and it worked out just fine for me. Um, <laughs> But yeah, like my my parents and them being military people too, just were like, look, your adult time is your time to really figure yourself out, really figure out where you want to be, where you want to go and get to know people. Um, And they were absolutely right. College was one of those spaces where um, I met people from all walks of life. Um, I didn't feel like I, I was no longer in a bubble and it forced me to come outside of my shell and really get to know people. So thank God for college. Right. Thank God for yes, Andy. I agree. <laughs> um, we're, we're coming close to time, but I do want to ask you, um, I, I wish we had time to go through the whole book because um, it's a very good read. I suggest everyone go pick it up. Is there anything else that you want to highlight that you feel is important for people to know about um, the book, any chapter that you want to focus on? Um, there. So my favorite chapter is about Africa. And I want to highlight that I kind of had this dual conversation going on uh, within the book. Um, like I said, I'm speaking to Black people and to white people, but I I just feel like we're taught so much and our world is centered around white history and white people. And when, you know, when you're not taught who you are, um, you're really, it's kind of a disservice. So I really wanted to also talk about history. You know, the historical context of Black people is very important to me and just understanding that. Um, And there's um, this quote just about knowing who you are. And I don't know the exact quote, but it's just like, if you, um, if you don't, know yourself like if you don't um if you're not taught anything other than um you know what you know you're not going to know anything more than yourself and I don't know the exact quote um but 
that's the reason I wanted to focus so much on history, just because um, it's it's deeply important to me. Um, and then um, just to kind of wrap up on on that, I think um, it's just fun to learn about Africa, but I want people to know and feel like a deeper understanding of your power and like an awe of yourself um, and know that you had a contribution to every single significant aspect of this world, like from math to farming, navigating the seas, language, civilization, um, and just knowing that greatness is a part of you. So then when we're having these social conversations, you have that confidence to know your greatness. And just, you know, when you can step back and dissect these systems working against you and understand the game, um, you're more likely to win. So I just think that when you realize the why as well, like why these systems are set up against you in the first place, um, you'll really bloom into your full potential and then just kind of become unstoppable. So realizing that this system fears your potential, I think, gives you a little bit of a cheat code. Yeah. And I guess, you know, that that leads into my last question about, you know, what you want your readers to take away from your book. Um, you just said a mouthful there, but there, if there's anything else you want your readers to take away. Um, I think, honestly, that is truly it. Just um, just this notion that my name, I named the book um, American Sankofa, Unlearning Racism, Digging Up Our Roots, um, because I want people to realize that we not only all know racism, but we've learned it. So it's time to unlearn it. Um, and it's not just our roots, not just Black history, not for just Black people, but for everyone. So have it being centered around us this time. Um, and then just knowing who we were again before slavery. But And the quote, I was Googling it, so I found the quote. <clears throat> and just, um, again, taking this historical context and then translating it back to how we fight these social injustices. But what you do for yourself depends on what you think of yourself. What you think of yourself depends on what you know of yourself. And what you know of yourself depends on what you were told. Mm -hmm. um, and that's by Quad David Whitaker. And I think it's just so important. It's transformative. Um, so that's pretty much it. Great. Great. That's awesome. Um, thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, thank you. How can people get in contact with you? Like, what's your social? Is there an email address you want to share? Yeah, I think the best way is probably Instagram and then um, DM me or email me from there. But it's Adri underscore D. So A-D-R-I-E underscore letter D. Okay. Um, we are going to put the link up for your book in our bio so people can um, can uh, purchase. And we will also put your contact information as well um, on the flyer so that people know how to get in contact with you. Again, thank Wonderful. you so much for, for this. Um, I definitely want us to have another conversation as we move into this next phase, um, especially with the new president and the new administration. I do want to have a conversation with you around, um, you know, as, as a Black community, what what our plan should look like. And I think that's where we have kind of failed ourselves is that depending on our government to support us when instead we need to have a plan. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And there are, I, I tell quite a few um, young people who during the racial unrest and all that kind of stuff that was going on, um, you know, they, they wanted to write out a plan and submit it to whoever you, you know how everybody wanted to write a plan mm -hmm. and submit it. <laughs> yes. And so my thing to them was, um, 
there are plenty of plans out there that have been written. Have you taken the opportunity to read other plans that have been written? Um, but don't reinvent the wheel. And I think that's where we get caught up is that we want to put our name, we want to make sure our name is highlighted on there rather than making sure that the plan fits for us. Mm-hmm. And one one young man, I said to him, I said, go back and look at Dr. Martin Luther King and go back and look at Malcolm X. I said, both of those men, huge black leaders, um, both had plans for black community. And then go and look at some of your other uh, civil rights leaders that may not exactly. have had as much shine as them. But you can combine all of that into one. But I said, you always want to show respect and give respect to your ancestors, the ones that led the way. And a plan would be easy. So we can go on and on about. I agree. <laughs> yes. About Black I am people. down. Yeah, Absolutely. but um, definitely. Um, again, thank you. Um, this is the first episode of the Cocktail Break. I'm so excited. This has been a very interesting conversation. Like I said, um, we're definitely going to bring Adrian back so we can discuss um, Black plan, Black politics, Black community. So again, thank you, Adrian. This is the Cocktail Break. I am looking forward to you all coming back and um, listening to our next episode. Thank all you right, again have for a good having one. me. Bye-bye.